Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's July 8th, 1822, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Ironically, he'd gone to Italy for his health, thinking the pleasant climate might benefit his lungs. Uh, But it was on this day in 1822, very sadly, that the lungs of romantic poet Percy Bryce Shelley filled with water as he drowned off the coast of Tuscany in a dramatic shipwreck just one month away from his 30th birthday. And it's fair to say that he wasn't immediately mourned by the establishment, at least in part due to his atheism. And the day after the news of his death reached England, the conservative London newspaper The Courier printed, Shelley, the writer of some infidel poetry, has been drowned. Now he knows whether or not there is a god. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, Shelley's death wouldn't have been seen as warranting more coverage than that, albeit I don't know that every publication would have chosen to be as snide. But the drowning wouldn't have been major news because his work didn't really become popular until after his death, not least because much of it was still unpublished or it had been heavily censored due to aforesaid atheism and also his radical politics. And also, a bit like his contemporaries Keats and Byron, his death sort of sealed his reputation. I mean, the poetry is magnificent, yes, but the fact that they all died young sort of ended up kind of um, cementing what the romantic ideal was. Yeah, Keats had died in Rome the year before and Byron died in Missolonghi uh, two years later. And something about this idea of youthful, sacrificial genius was established in the deaths of those three poets in particular. But also people immediately after his death began pouring through Shelley's poetry and spotting Boats and tragedy. Yeah, I mean, if he'd, if he'd have died of a drug overdose, though, they'd have found lots of references to flowers. I mean, you know, right, water was yeah. one of the things he wrote quite a lot about. Well, exactly. <laughs> and also yeah. another reason that he went to Italy in the first place was because his first wife, Harriet Westbrook, had drowned herself in the Serpentine. So that had influenced his poetry as well. Yeah, his whole life actually had that sort of dramatic, romantic flavour. So his early childhood was pretty peaceful. He was raised in West Sussex. His father was a baronet. But when he was sent to boarding school aged 10, he was bullied really badly. And his reaction to that was that he started experiencing hallucinations, nightmares and sleepwalking, which would continue to plague him through his adult life. It actually got even worse when he went to Eton. His tormentors bullied him so much they nicknamed it Shelley Bates. Nicknamed what Shelley Bates? What, baiting Shelley? Yeah, they would have these sessions of bullying him that they called Shelley. That seems like a uniquely kind of uh, Gen Z hashtagable way of saying let's make Shelley, doesn't it? Let's do some Shelley bait. That's like holly bobs. But it it was precisely in response to that that he developed these traits of his character that would make him such an unusual anti-authoritarian figure because he would refuse to engage with his fellow pupils and with school traditions. He refused to participate in fagging, which for non-UK listeners is when the younger boys are made to do chores to the older boys at various historical public schools. But he refused to participate in that. 
And it probably didn't help his integration with his school chums that he was obsessed with the paranormal and he would carry out these macabre experiments, including attempts to summon spirits and reanimate the human form, which obviously might sound familiar from his future wife, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But by the end of his final year, he seemed to have been accepted as just a sort of weird but lovable eccentric, especially when his first... He was an original goth. He published a gothic novel called Zastrozzi shortly before he left for Oxford, which seemed to sort of make him that little bit more popular with his fellow students. By his 20s, though, he did have a reputation and uh, wanted to go to Italy partly because of his health, partly because he wanted to escape rumours about him and his behaviour. Like Arian said, he was seen as an infidel by many people in Britain and also... Um, It was known that his relationship with Mary Shelley had started when he was married to someone else. um, Mm. And she was kind of a celebrity liberal, like she was the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft and William Godwin, which would kind of be like being the daughter of uh, Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon or something these days. Like There was a lot of attention on her behaviour. And uh, she didn't help by um, hooking up with uh, Shelley on her mother's grave. Um, <laughs> so there were rumours about them. Classic goth. Um, <laughs> it's classic goth. So they went to Italy partly to escape all of that, but partly because they loved Italy. And mm. they were having a reasonably jolly time for bits of their trip. Venice, its temples and palaces, did seem like fabrics of enchantment piled to heaven, Shelley wrote at one point on the tour. But generally... You have to say it wasn't a good move. Not only did Shelley die out there, but also um, their son William uh, died Mm. of typhus out there. And in fact, uh, three of their four children died by this point in Shelley's life. And it wasn't helped by the fact that Shelley didn't really have much of a job at this point. So when they signed into a hotel in Switzerland when they first went to Europe, he listed his occupation as atheist, democrat, philanthropist, which, as you can imagine, it's not the kind of work that pays very well. (laughs) And so particularly for Mary Shelley, she was discovering that being married to a free love embracing creditor dodger was actually pretty rubbish. And obviously this was compounded by the death of their children in Italy as well. Also the fact that he was chasing after lots of other women. which Including her sister. Including her sister, Claire, who was also Byron's lover. She was getting around big style among the romantics. Yeah, so Mm. she had had a daughter with Byron. There is quite a funny letter that Byron wrote regarding his relationship with Claire. Uh, He said, what could I do, foolish girl? I could not exactly play the stoic with a woman who had scrambled 800 miles to unphilosophize me. (laughs) That was his excuse. They sent the daughter off to a convent. She then died uh, at the age of five, I think. You do wonder whether Shelley, who, as we've saying, had been carrying on with Mary's half-sister, Claire, this woman who had mothered Byron's child, had been having words with Byron, because the reason he was in a boat at all, uh, and the boat, by the way, was called the Don Juan, after Byron's famous poem, was because he'd just been to visit Byron, who'd moved to Livorno. Well, one of the things that he went there to do was to race Byron, and he had specially adapted his boat with these extra top masts to make it faster. And his ambition was that he'd then be able to beat Byron's new boat, which was called the Bolivar, uh, when they raced each other across uh, the Bay of Spezia. But Shelley didn't seem to be aware of how dangerous the modification that he'd made was and just how unstable he had turned the Don Juan into being as a boat, especially when it was fully rigged. And a week later, he had then finally uh, got his preparation ready to return to Larici and he was planning to take with him both uh, Williams, his friend, and also this 18-year-old boat boy called Charles Vivian. And there had been warnings of bad weather, but for no particular reason, uh, Shelley insisted that this was the day that he had to travel. And so he set out. And the next time the boat was sighted was a few hours later, struggling in the storm. (laughs) And as to why he would make such an unwise decision to set off despite the predictions,
conditions of violent weather in his really underperforming boat, it seems like at this point Shelley was sort of losing his mind a bit. Because he and Mary Shelley were living with these friends, Edward and Jane Williams, in a villa on the Italian Riviera, which sounds idyllic, but actually everything about it turned out to be the exact opposite of idyllic. (laughs) First, it was in a really remote location. It is the irony, isn't it? You know, you write all these poems about how beautiful the natural world is, but when you need a pint of milk, you're a long way away when you're stranded on the lake. The thing is, I think that they would have welcomed the presence of other people around them because it was quite a tense atmosphere in the villa. If Shelley had fallen in love with Jane Williams, who didn't reciprocate, he had basically frozen out Mary, who was traumatised from having lost her children. And also she'd suffered a near-fatal miscarriage at the villa and she had Mm. almost bled to death. So Shelley apparently was tormented at this point by violent visions. He had visions of him strangling Mary and he'd written to a friend and asked about procuring cyanide. So overall, this was a really nightmarish scenario and Mm. Shelley probably wasn't thinking very straight by the time he got into the boat on this day. Well, as kind of liberal, artsy, gothy figures, the Shelleys were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of airing (laughs) all of this laundry in public as well. This was poured over in great detail for people Mm. who wanted to know what had happened, not least from Mary Shelley, who was an author, and described the moment where she agonisingly was waiting for him to return because of course she suspected he was dead but you don't know then do you until you hear for certain from someone who saw it and it was a wait of 10 days specifically that was when the bodies of the three people on the boat washed up in via reggio their bodies had decomposed shelley was identified by his clothing and by a book of keats poetry he had in his pocket he was really good at adding in those romantic yeah. little touches <laughs> <That's> <laughs> too perfect to detail, how long do you it? think you've been carrying around those keats poems just in case <laughs> <laughs> it's like my, my grandma always said to wear nice knickers in case you get hit by a car yeah <laughs> exactly. i'm gonna take to carrying some keats in my underpants <laughs> just to be super safe <laughs> and his burial wasn't especially glamorous at first he was buried in the sand because there was a law at the time in Italy that bodies that washed up from shipwrecks should be buried where they washed up for hygiene reasons then they excavated him and he was cremated on a pyre with a great deal of sort of foppish romantic ceremony and there is a depiction of this Louis Fournier's celebrated 1889 painting The Cremation of Shelley and this was obviously painted at a time much later when Shelley had accrued this huge reputation but he did take certain liberties with it for one thing it depicts Mary Shelley as kneeling and weeping by the pyre even though in reality she wasn't actually there also, it doesn't depict the fact that Byron went for a swim afterwards. <laughs> Boy, it's really hot standing next to this pyre on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else feeling a bit horny? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next time. My mind immediately went to sort of Elizabethan pirates and privateers. But this... I was thinking the Goonies. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 